we're very excited to be here this afternoon for a special live recording of Starts at the Top, the podcast that I run with my co-host Paul Thomas, which is about how leaders can really embrace the opportunity that digital offers to uh, create a part of the future, especially at such a difficult time. We're joined by a very special guest today, Paul de Gregorio, who will be introducing in a moment. But first of all, I'd like to introduce my podcast co-host, Paul Thomas. Hello, everybody. Uh, So this afternoon, we're going to be talking about some of the big digital trends of 2020. It has been a huge year of change and especially a lot of digital disruption. Uh, The pandemic has really been a huge acceleration of digital trends. And we will be talking about uh, what those mean and also what uh, the implications are for what 2021 could like in tech. So we're going to be having a uh, quite extensive discussion of all those issues. But there's also going to be plenty of time at the end for you to quiz our amazing guest, Paul DeGorio, uh, and also uh, to ask any questions that you'd like to of myself and Paul Thomas as well. We are thrilled to be introducing fantastic special guest, Paul DeGorio. I really can't think of anyone else would rather be coming to the end of uh, the second season of Starts at the Top Win. Uh, when I think of Paul, I think of someone who really embodies what it means to be a disruptor and who does that in an incredibly positive and exciting way right across the social sector. Paul is the founder of Rally, a leading digital engagement and a mobilisation strategist as well. He's worked with charities and membership organisations all over the world, including but not limited to Cancer Research UK, American Civil Liberties Union, um, Refuge, Amnesty International, Oxfam, Greenpeace, Labour Party, UNICEF, Uh, the list goes on. He's worked with so many amazing organisations and has tons of fascinating lessons about digital to share with you all today from that. Uh, He's worked with them to deliver mobilisation, fundraising and campaigning activity that engages the public at scale and inspires them to take action. Previously, he was Director of Digital Engagement at a leading UK-based fundraising and communications agency where he pioneered the use of mobile as an engagement and recruitment tool for charities and campaign groups in the UK, Australia and the States. And he can often be found making a noise on Twitter. That's what he told me to say uh, at Paul de Gregorio. (laughs) Paul, welcome to Starts at the Top. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, um, that's a bio, isn't it? Yeah. Amazing. Um, (laughs) I'll, um, shall I just introduce rally a little bit yeah so please do what, what, please what do. we are so um i've spent a lot of time working in agencies in the charity and campaign space over the last hundred thousand years that i've been on the planet and a few years ago i'd um i just got to the point where i really wanted to create something that operated at the intersection of comms advocacy and fundraising because i think there's a um, that's a place where we that's a place where the kind of the intersection of all those bits coming together is often where the most interesting problems are, and also I think the biggest opportunity to make change and make change quickly. So um, I set up Rally to try and kind of sit in that space and help organisations, mainly digitally, um, bring all of those things together and think in a kind of public mobilisation way as opposed to purely a comms, purely a fundraising, or purely an advocacy way. So it's a difficult spot to be in, but I love it. And um, that's where uh, 
spend most of my time working. Excellent, great. And we're really excited to hear a bit more about some of the exciting digital projects that you've been working on this year. Um, so as we were saying before uh, the session started today, my goodness me, it's been quite the year, hasn't it? Uh, and you've obviously been really busy during that time. So what big digital changes have you seen in charities this year? And what do you think they tell us about what the future of civil society could look like? It, uh, when I was thinking about this question, I was I was thinking about whether it was big digital changes in the sector or just big digital changes in society. And I think it's I think it's the societal change which has really um, which has really had the biggest impact on us as a sector. Because I would argue, and I'm sure we could come back to it, that as a sector we weren't potentially we're not potentially the most ready for what digital transformation looks like or we're not necessarily keeping up with how the public are changing the ways that they use technologies and their expectations of how the brands they love and the the, the organizations they want to support are using digital itself but if i think about public behavior i think about lockdown I think about pandemic it all becomes quite clear and simple in one way which is we've done more online shopping, we've done more online socializing, we've done more education of ourselves and our kids online, and obviously more online working. So this kind of digital transformation culture or digital transformation industry, which exists in our in every sector, has kind of been superseded by the practical application of a lot of technologies and this just absolute need to somehow survive through this kind of traumatic time that we've all been through. So I completely, I get just so excited, if it's, if it's allowable to be excited by what's happened to us all, by the kind of just this rapid shift in how we as a species are interacting with each other and brands and how we've all become much better at using these tools. I mean, the much maligned family quiz on Zoom is just, I think, the classic example of how we've got like generation, different generations and families all, all across the, the, the country able to communicate with video conferencing. And I don't think we're going back from this. I think this is now, this is like the, the, the future. Um, so for charities, I think we've got to remain relevant in 2021 and beyond. We've got to have really clear plans and strategies about how we keep our skills, our systems, our investment plans in line with actual public behavior and public adoption of these technologies. So that's so interesting because I'm, I'm hearing two kind of schools of thought at the moment. I mean, I completely agree with you. I think this is a permanent shift in digital. I, I, I don't see how we're going to go back from this. And yet I do sometimes meet people saying, well, we're going to go back to, to normal after this. And we're all going to be going back to the office five days a week. And we're all going to be going back to the way we, we fundraise before. And, and I just don't see how that would happen after we have all been through this year of, of this enormous shift, as you say, in human behaviour. I can't see it happening either. I think there's so much data that's out there. Um, but I think anyone who's heard me speak recently will know that the one signal that I've seen which just blows my mind is um, the percentage of total retail sales 
which is online. And we've been growing as a kind of the, re the retail sector has been growing with its digital um, the percentage of sales online, just like growing and growing and growing and growing every year. But if you track the curve and you look at what happened at the beginning of lockdown, there was this huge, huge, huge growth to like 30 something percent of all retail happen happening online. Lockdown ends and it drops to about 25 percent lockdown two starts starts to pick up again and what's happening is we're not going back to pre-pandemic levels which were more around the kind of 20 percent mark and for me that just shows that our behaviors have shifted because we spend a lot of money on retail actually i'm going to do the really multi-discipline thing and stick the link to the data in chat because i want everyone to see this one it's a, it, 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 it's send it to your um finance director <laughs> look at this chew on this for five minutes yeah yeah absolutely so speaking of those those big changes uh obviously the way charities have had to fundraise this year has absolutely had to to shift fundamentally um who do you think is do has done digital fundraising really well this year and what can we learn from them I, um, I think I'm going to embarrass Anna, who I can see on um, chat. I think, I mean, I'm very biased. I work with Refuge. Anna works with Refuge. Um, and I, I just think they've done incredible, incredible things over the, over the time since the pandemic hit. Um, so like I say, they're a client, I'm bound to say that. But I think, you know, that's on record. They've, there was a recent fundraising um, magazine article about their digital fundraising, I think in November, which just laid out with such clarity this incredible journey that they'd been on. Um, but I think the kind of key things that I take from, like, the pleasure I have with working with Refuge and seeing how they operate is um, there, there was real bravery when lockdown hit. I think there was a lot of kind of freeze there's a lot of organizations who are kind of stopping or pausing activity um but refuge were they just felt like never going to do that they as soon as lockdown hit there was a decision made that we needed to invest and scale when it would have been a really really easy thing to do to kind of pause and reflect and to maybe prevaricate around making a decision they were unbelievably agile um they change processes really quickly in real time. The collaboration across their digital team, their comms team, their fundraising, their advocacy teams is just a real kind of shining beacon of what collaboration should look like across um, multiple across multiple teams. And I had to go and find the data in this article earlier on to make sure that I didn't misrepresent the numbers. But um, from Fundraising Magazine in November, we're talking of taking me back to the beginning of the year in the first couple of months of lockdown raised a million pounds online, which is phenomenal. 60% um, of that coming from Facebook advertising, the rest of it coming from um, really, really good kind of optimizations of the website and other thing. And at the same time, we grew our grew the email list from around 2,500 to 30,000, which means we've now got this amazing opportunity to carry on the conversation with a very, very large number of donors and talk to them about all of the things they can do to help Refuge deliver on its mission, its vision, and its goals. Um, and Anna's just put in chat, it's nearly 50,000 now, which is amazing to see. I kind of knew that, but I was going to go by the numbers published in the article in November. Um, and and at the same time, as this incredible success in um, individual giving and kind of 
making their digital ecosystem really fit for purpose so that if people wanted to give, they could find us and give to us really, really easily. Um, created a kind of diversification and innovation moment where huge amounts of money was going to be lost in their community and events program and took the decision at um, kind of super short notice to um, launch a new um, virtual event. And we were, and I remember it felt crazy at the time, but from kind of saying we're going to launch it to launching it took six days. And Gabby, the kind of head of community, did all of the work from her home and sending out T-shirts to all of these amazing women who were participating in an event which was called 100 Squats a Day for 30 Days, targeted to raise 40 grand, raised £110,000 in 30 days. Just an extraordinary fundraising moment. Has been repeated several times since and delivering even better, better results. And I think what's critical for that little case study that I'm sharing is didn't move from a standing start they'd already recognized that the organization needed to shift and kind of increase its digital skills and the frameworks and the systems and the processes which were in play to be able to, to respond so i take nothing away from their bravery and the kind of agile nature of, of of moving really quickly but we'd kind of really put in place platforms and systems and skills so that when our moment came we were absolutely ready to go I just think they're an incredible organization doing incredible work. I urge you all to go and make a donation to them when you're done today. And just expanding on the skills side of things there, then, you know, small charities, small charities through to big charities through to every organization. I think you mentioned agility, you mentioned confidence, fast decision-making. Is there anything else that, that teams are going to need to adopt to adapt to, to the to the fast-paced future that we're we're all facing now as you say it's not going away so what what else do teams need do you think i think um when i think about kind of the fundraising spe sector specifically not necessarily all of the other functions i think fundraising thinks in moments and as opposed to thinking over the kind of that kind of the everyday and the everyday optimizations and if if we're in digital, we're in digital to improve things every day. We know that digital is never done. So it's kind of a cultural and leadership position that needs to be taken, which encourages and, and creates that environment where we're not going to spend 50 grand developing a product and then launch it in three months' time and everything with fingers crossed that this product we've developed is going to work. We need, we need to improve the website every day, improve our storytelling in social every day. And it, it's just this kind of continual, um, yeah, digital's never done. So please don't think develop, it's Kind of a developing mindset is, is yeah. the way, you know, we're, we're working on a project together at the moment. That's what we keep coming back to. It's a developing mindset. You can't sometimes put your finger on it, but you just know when you're in that mode of, yeah, we're, we're, we're thinking about this stuff all of the time. And I think that it's important to kind of sift through your partners and make sure you're kind of where you're seeking expertise and support, you're, you're seeking it from the right places. So in the way that Rally operates, you know, I wouldn't dream of trying to set up a delivery function because quite frankly, unless you're in delivery every day, you can never be fantastic at it. So the approach that we take is to make sure that we are working with a really big network of shit hot professionals. I promised I wouldn't swear I've already broken, but... Of, of, of really good professionals who um, are at the top of their game and kind of bringing them all together on projects 
I think is super important. So making sure that the skills you buy in are good value. That's the big one. In that point about the skills is so key and also, as you say, that attitude that underpins it as well, because that's certainly been a characteristic that, that we've noticed in, in our work too, that the organisations that have forged ahead with digital this year are absolutely the ones where, you know, they, they, they've gone for it. They've been undaunted in in the face of the crisis and i'm not belittling any charity that's that's, that's had a, a a tough time this year because i think everyone has um but I, i've seen so many amazing examples this year of of charities you know where their backs have really been up against the wall but they've said right we, we're going to go for it on this campaign um because you know it's it's do or die and you shared this amazing example from Refuge of, for, of Charity who, you know, who really went for it and got an amazing result because of that. Absolutely. And I think charities of all sizes and scales have the capability to do with it. And and, and I think, as you both know, it, it, it comes down to leadership, you know, in terms of who's helping the teams make the decisions that mean that organisations don't freeze and that they can take a step towards something else as opposed to kind of having a bit of an inward an inward look but as you say Zoe so many organizations are in a are in a different place that I can't be critical of an organization that hasn't made this transition because we know as a sector we haven't sector-wide invested in our digital skills our digital leadership and all of the things that we need to drive this success yeah absolutely so speaking of, of leadership and digital skills if we move across the pond and I know one of the things that you and I have talked about over the years uh is is where what's going on in, in US politics can be a bit of a predictor of what then happens in digital across this side of the channel and of course across the world as well um what can we learn from uh how Trump how Biden used digital this year and, and and what does it mean for all of us yeah I think to echo your point I mean so much of the work that I do has been influenced by the American political system I think because they have scale and the political system is slightly different it's more kind of quite closely aligned to a kind of classic kind uh -huh. of fundraising culture here um there's so much to learn from Howard Dean a hundred million years ago to Obama through Bernie and Biden and the whole thing. So I'm really, really obsessed by the US political system. Um, I'm particularly lucky to form some reasonably close relationships with people behind some of the big campaigns. So a pal of mine runs an agency who does all of AOC's um, digital kind of mobilization and uh, fundraising work. And also he was kind of central to Bernie 2016. And, and what they do so incredibly well is they fuse amazing storytelling with just the most incredible digital experiences. So they really take a kind of, and without wanting to make it seem too transactional, they just understand that their role is to convert interest in the cause, the values, the mission, the goals of the campaign into some form of action, which can then lead to repeat action. It's not all about money. It's about uh, um, volunteers. It's about people making calls. It's about getting people out onto the doorstep, sending texts, doing all of the all of the things. But they just focus on the right things. So visit AOC's website now. 
I'm fairly confident there'll be an incredible um, invitation to sign up and join her email list. It's kind of values led and kind of singing um, the values of how she operates. And then when they've kind of inspired you to kind of share a piece of personal data with them, the, the, the process they go through to kind of keep engaging and re-engaging you in the campaign and keeping you updated and keeping you feeling like you are a part of it, again, it's just kind of second to none so and they just remove all of the friction from any of the those actions so giving money or signing up to host events or make calls or send texts they they take a real e-commerce approach to making everything work brilliantly and i just love this fusing of creativity storytelling and just really amazing nerdery when it comes to the optimization of all of the things that need to be optimized just blows my mind um, I think something from 2020, which I was really surprised to see, was the real kind of explosion of SMS and mobile in their political um, communications. So every time I saw Trump, he was stood in front of a podium which says text Trump to a number to kind of get on his list, or it was the same with Bernie Sanders, same with Biden. And um, I think they realised that email and social takes you so far into the population, but to reach all sections of the population you need to be where people are and huge communities were not as, pre as as ever present in social or email but they were on their mobiles and text was a great great place to reach them um so that was just phenomenal to see that to that happen you know, they don't do sms like we do uh, what we want people to do is give three pounds and then we'll call them and ask them for a regular gift what they want to do over there is just have your contact details and then be able to communicate with you brilliant stuff There's a lot in that for any organisation to learn about the role of you know uh, outreach and, and and bringing on fans and fandom. I think we've we've covered before. Um, and one of the one of the interesting topics I think that that then relates back to um, is as as we had on a previous issue of the podcast, as you said, you know there's a there's a de there's a digital deficit within the UK. Uh, and, and people don't don't necessarily have access to all the same tools, so we're we're looking at, um, at gaps in in our communication. My big question is from from that point of view. So, what goes wrong with UK politics then? So we we seemingly do nothing about this. We put slogans on the side of buses and let the population do all the all, all of the uh, the social media stuff for us. So, what, what's what's the gap there? I think it's there. I think it's not as visible. I don't think it's as visible in the UK because there's a kind of difference in terms of some of the laws in, in the US. So in the US, for example, every candidate has to publish its um, fundraising numbers at the end of every month or quarter. And that puts a real focus for journalists to kind of really dig into how they're achieving scale and how they're engaging the public in terms of numbers. Whereas I'm kind of privy to data from some of the political parties around kind of numbers of donors, email addresses and mobile numbers, which I'm not going to share today because there's a different um, kind of approach to kind of confidentiality around some of those things. But I think if we look at Labour Party, I think has improved like amazingly over the last five or six um, general election cycles. I did general election fundraising for the Labour Party in 2000 no 1997 2001 2005 we didn't know what the internet was 
but there was a moment probably around the Ed Miliband time where there was just this huge swing from offline fundraising to online fundraising and Labour Party being the organisation I'm closest to I know that key players from some of the big campaigns in the US would have helped kind of drive that thinking make that thinking and then love them all over them momentum from have have really adopted some of these kind of mobilization techniques from the kind of Bernie campaign and generate huge amounts of money, huge amounts of loyalty and engagement from their from their base. Um, so yeah, I I think we do it. I just don't think we shout about it quite as much as the Americans the American teams uh, do. It's interesting what you're saying about fundraising as well, because I was talking about this uh, a bit i mean i don't know as obviously anywhere near as much as as you do about this this issue of the, the fundraising in the, the u.s around the political side of things um but one thing i was talking to the ceo about because we were talking about uh, fundraising from high net worth individuals was there seemed to be some really interesting stuff going on in that with the the biden campaign um there was uh, there were some things i was reading about how um you know if you're a particular level of donor yes you could get on a zoom call with a farmer but you needed to have pledged however many hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to, to get on that call um is, is there any light you can shed on some of those trends because this is where i think it could get really interesting you know where we can use digital more to engage some of those really major donors absolutely, absolutely. i um i see it frequently i see the kind of small dollar end more than the high dollar end of things but what I'm seeing, and I saw this specifically um, in the kind of Biden campaign, was you know, Zoom has taken over our, our whole consciousness this year. And, um, you, know, we, you know, I think in the past, you would have been connected for a high value donation, you would have been connected to members of the kind of um, the party or the leadership. So there's there's that kind of slightly dodgy I think lobbying thing going on in the background where money can buy influence what I thought to kind of flip your question was really fascinating both the UK election in 2019 and the election we've just seen in the in the US is because of the technology being so easy to use that zoom calling or going getting on a zoom call with Michelle Obama was pretty much open to everyone like she would invite you on to like these huge calls and the kind of the kind of town hall moments where you can hear from both the Obamas, you can hear from Kamala Harris, you can hear from Biden, and you get the opportunity to pose to pose questions. And when I see these things happening, it, it just takes me back again, showing my age. It's like the concept of connection is one that's always been there. When I was running election campaigns in 2001, we were putting out party election broadcasts with telephone numbers, inviting people to call and ask Tony Blair a question. And it was just a completely different technology. And I just love how the technologies of now have um, really democratized access. So yeah, I'm not into the high dollar stuff quite as much, um, but I know the techniques are used now across the whole value spectrum. What about the Trump side of things? I know when we were talking over email, uh, as, as, as we were, you know, working together to prepare this over the last two weeks, you talked about Trump and some of his, his email campaigns. Because um, they had obviously, Trump had obviously been really invested in digital, didn't he? Yeah. 
uh, in the the very first campaign that he ran. So so what happened this time around? And, and, and tell us about the email side of things too. Well, I I, I I think the Trump campaign just carried on. I don't think the Trump campaign ever stopped. So from 2016 all the way through to probably today, um, their, their approach is different. And depending on your politics and where you sit in the kind of political spectrum, you either love it or you loathe it. Um, you can guess what my perception of the whole thing is. Um, but from a technique perspective, same techniques are used by both by both sides of the political spectrum. Um, maybe not some of the shadier, just kind of preventing people from voting stuff um, on the Democratic side. But email growth has been huge. Mobile list growth has been huge. I put myself on the Trump list ages ago just to see what would happen. The tone is very different. The tone is very much of the kind of um, of the candidate. There's a real drive towards merchandise, like on a level which I know exists on the Democratic side, but you could literally buy MAGA hats, MAGA golf balls, MAGA flags, MAGA, just everything that you could possibly want want to buy. I think what was quite interesting on um recently on twitter there was this kind of huge outrage about the tone of some of the um some of the trump emails which i find you know quite obtuse very direct like if you're a patriot you would have donated by now type framing of the donation ask um but i know that there are some shadier sides of the democratic party that adopt quite similar similar techniques so i, I think it's um it's less a kind of about this political polarization around the email differences it's much more about a kind of I don't like to use age as the kind of signifier but there's this kind of new breed of kind of digital um, um, activists and um, fundraisers and organizers who understand that just shouting at somebody isn't the best way to get a response and we're looking for two-way interaction compared to a more traditional approach which is more used to tv and kind of print out of home advertising that thinks the way to go is to throw your campaign slogan up or your message and the people will flock around you so i'm definitely in the camp of two-way engaging framing kind of the big bigger problem that we're all a part of solving rather than i am the candidate by my hat it's funny. I'm seeing um, uh, <laughs> I'm seeing a similar approach to this um, from my, my son's school for Christmas uh, Christmas jumper day. It's <laughs> been an, an email every day this week about donating to that cause. So yeah, there's um, there's a really incredible man who exists on Twitter called Michael Whitney, who was the digital fundraising manager for Trump 2020. Uh, not Trump. He'll kill me. Bernie 2020, and. I had the pleasure of showing him around town last year to a whole bunch of different charities. And he told me in the dying days of Bernie 2016, that in one month, they sent 67 fundraising emails. And dropping that stat across the table for, with charity um, people was, was quite intense. So I had to be really clear, that's not a recommendation. That's a kind of sign of how in a kind of when you've got a really engaged list and you're a specific part of your campaign, freak the frequency that we think is acceptable, you, your list tells you what's acceptable. And before we get to questions, I'm not advocating 67 emails in a month. I'm just saying that they, they, would, they would put a lot of um, emails to their base. And the most fascinating thing about that was 
the more emails they sent, the more money they raised, and the more actions that, that were taken as a consequence of um, the email program. Not a recommendation. <laughs> yeah, clearly not a recommendation, but it's interesting the correlation there between yep. uh, organisations that I've worked with and we're working with with the, one, one of the moment in particular, where it's... Um, uh, we're still very polite in this country um, and at 67 that's what that's more than two a day uh, in or it's about 2.1 2.2 a day so that's that's ridiculous levels however on social media we're very very polite and we sort of sit back and we send our tweet in the morning and then that's done um, as opposed to repeat 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 which sort of seems to get when I talk to, to organizations charities and others about well you're not repeating the message you're not restating your cause uh, you get that pushback that says, "Well, we 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 want to be, we don't want to be um, in people's faces about this." Yeah. But the whole point about social media is you are in people's faces. It's a constant stream of of information, and you need to you need to keep appearing in it. Absolutely, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And I think I think the on the email side of things as well as social media, you can you if you're on top of your data, you know if your comms are having a negative impact on your goals. And with emails, I, I, a question I'm asked very often by trustees or chief executives, people who are not in the digital space as much as the teams I work with are, you know, we're sending two emails a month. Is that too many? And it's like, well, A, no, but B, if we empower the team to be using the data to understand what's happening when we send our communications and then we act on the data, then we're ne we can never do too many because that's not, the prism or the lens that which we should be looking at things. We need to be looking at how engaged is our audience? You know, are they working with us and taking actions with us to achieve our goals? And, you know, the unsubscribe rate tells us when they're not, just as the unfollow account does or the number of kind of spam reports we get in Facebook. You know, we just need, you know, one one, one thing I pray for is that there's more, more, more analytics being used to make decisions as opposed to the board of trustees, his uncles, dads, mum, thought that we'd sent one one too many emails last year so along with that that relentless focus on the data which i absolutely very much agree with that's a, a big theme of what we advocate as well uh is there anything else that you would recommend for, for perhaps small to mid-sized charities you know digital learnings from the uh u.s election campaigns i am sl slightly predictable i think that um a real focus on user experience. I think you'll get the biggest gains of a chat, whatever size organization you are, about just making it easier to to take the action or whatever the action is that you're looking for um, people to take. So to really lean into and learn from um, the, e the email sign-up pages, the donation pages, the action pages, and just learn and kind of study them and maybe even just copy a few just if you if you're not getting good results right now is kind of borrow some learning and the other thing i was thinking about this when when we when i was thinking about questions was that it's not necessarily a tactical thing it's more that when i think about some of these really high performing digital uh, dig these campaigns digital has a seat at the very top table and there are few, so few organizations within our kind of social justice space where digital has a seat at the very, very top table. Um, 
Yeah, I think it, I, I'm sure I read an article which suggested that most of the big campaigns in the in the presidential cycle didn't have the kind of classic director of comms, but digital was the senior role, and comms kind of sat within that that framework. And I think the biggest thing to learn from high performing campaigns is elevate the presence of digital in your decision making structures. Absolutely. And, and, and without getting all political, I mean, that was um, a big feature of the 2019 general election campaign here, wasn't it, on the, the Tory side of things. There was a lot of investment in digital in the, you know, the, the pod of power at number 10, as I believe it was known. Um, speaking of leadership, uh, I think we share a mutual crush on AOC and her fantastic use of, of digital. Um and really interesting to know that you you know the the, the organisation that, that helps her with that as well. Um, so I think you're brilliantly placed to tell us a bit more about what all social sector leaders can learn from her and how she and her team use digital. Yeah, I think um, so. The, the 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 people I know who run the kind of email and fundraising programmes they 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 kind of grew out of the Bernie team and then set up an agency and AOC was one of their first clients. But I, I think. The person who's kind of driving her incredible social media presence is is her. I, it just feels so clearly that, um, it, like, she's incredible at it. She's specifically like really brilliant at Instagram and Twitter, and I I, I really admire it because I think it's a kind of place that we should all be as, aspiring to. But I think what she does brilliantly, she keeps things really real. She keeps things really really authentic. She just seems to be able to kind of like effortlessly convey the bit of her personality she's happy to share in these channels via those channels and kind of every day, every communication, she's continually reinforcing what she stands for. And also I think she, she includes her support that, you know, she interacts with people using using those um, channels. And I think the other thing that's really interesting about her is that she manages to convey this real sense of intimacy that, you know, you feel very close to her life, which I think is, again, a phenomenal thing to be able to do because I'm sure she's not giving us access all areas to her life. Very few people seem to do that, to be able to do that with real authenticity. So you get a sense of her like like a dog, her family, her garden, the kind of things that she's doing in her spare time, her opinions on popular culture, it's all kind of, it's all kind of there. And she, and I think she's just like, just brilliantly um, able to do those things. And the third bit about AOC, and I read this amazing article that she was a part of, and she said that she's really frustrated about how the establishment tells, tries to win arguments or makes points. And her approach is to that you should you should tell stories or make your arguments with your five senses and not just five facts. And I think that's how she manages to kind of create this intimacy because she humanizes her points. She she brings people in to tell those stories. Um, I think she also she said something like, you know, um, we're communicating at our best when our heart and our head align. And there's just this storytelling thing that she's just superb and when we think about people in our sector I think you know there are people in our sector who 
I'm not saying they're the UK AOC, but they kind of have those attributes in terms of brilliant storytelling, bit of an in intimate look into their lives, but also very real and true and authentic to their to their mission or their passion. I just think like a bit of a masterclass, really. Maybe it's uh, maybe she's the future president. Who knows? Oh yes, please. I think um, I think think that would be wonderful. Um, so. Tell us a bit more about, I know, mobilisation, organising as well. There's a big passions of yours and they're a big theme of, of what you do. For those who perhaps are newer to those areas, firstly, can you explain a bit more about what they are uh, and then also how charities should be deploying those techniques? Yeah. I, um, it's one of those things where there's like, there are a thousand and one different um, definitions, I'm sure. And I think at the core of my kind of obsession, which is why Rally exists and what Rally's seeking to do in the sector, I kind of have this kind of core belief, specifically when I'm thinking about charities, but also campaign groups and political parties, which is an obvious point. Everything, we're all, you know, these organisations are born out of a desire to see some form of change, right? Whether it's a change to law or health or kind of the environment or, or whatever's going, whatever's going on. And, you know, we deliver long lasting and radical change through engagement. So it's like broad engagement and also deep engagement with the public. So that's the kind of overarching theory that I'm working to, to deliver change. We need to engage the public. We need a broad engagement. We need a deep engagement with the public. So we, we can deliver broad engagement via this concept of mobilization. And mobilization is the act of encouraging people to take action. And mobilization is maybe it's advertising, but it gives us breadth, it's how we activate, how we grow an audience, and how we harness the power of the mass to kind of bring around the change that we want. And then deeper, deeper engagement is kind of delivered via organizing. So organizing gives us depth, it gives us kind of real kind of reach into people and communities where power exists, but probably people don't understand their power. Um, and it, it's, it's how we build more long term structures to bring about longer lasting change. So we have these kind of surge moments of mobilizing people behind a cause. And then the ultimate objective is to get more of those people to take more in real life actions to bring around that change. So Greenpeace UK are a phenomenal organization for mobilizing the public behind the cause which, which they represent. I'm struggling to think of a UK charity that's great at the organizing side of things, but thinking back to the US elections to try and bring organizing to life, um, the Democrats really pursued this strategy of relations, relational organizing in the election, which was, at its essence was how do we empower our supporter base with the skills, the confidence and the tools to have in real life conversations with their family and wider communities about the Biden campaign. But so not vote Biden, but more I, Paul, feel deeply about these issues. I'm voting for Joe Biden because of this and having a human to human conversation about values which removes Biden, removes all of the nonsense on the TV and makes it about me talking to my grandfather. And they put so much effort into that and we can't quantify how successful it was, but it's that kind of the organized, the Biden campaign empowered its base or, or, or built capacity within its base to do those 
things. And I think if you think UK, you think of Marcus Rashford. Like, he mobilised the public, but there was also an element of organising going on as well because he gave people the impetus, the inspiration, the skills and the route and the ability to write, to not press click and send a letter to their MP, but to go and write a letter to their MP, which is like a bit of a deeper action. And also just raise the whole conversation in communities and moved some businesses to actually provide the food, which the government wouldn't. So I think charities, I don't think are great at the organizing bit. Campaigns, increasingly politics, and um, this Marcus Rashford type cultural moment i think organizations charities should be focused here because wouldn't it be incredible if in the next general election the prominence of your issue whatever issue you represent was raised and that that as mps were knocking on your door they were hearing you talk about it in cancer research uk's voice or your own voice but representing coek points or dignity and dying points i think it's a huge huge potential for us to engage the public in our mission that was a very long monologue but i really i really feel that organizing is something that we that we we've we don't understand so we don't we don't do much in it we need to get better at that as a sector as you say and i think it very much speaks to that approach around you know really coming together around shared values that you talked about and it's it's so interesting thinking about that in the context of, of leadership because I, I think that one of the reasons why the Marcus Rashford campaign worked so well is that he's, he's very humble isn't he and it takes a particularly special sort of leader to almost you know take themselves out of the equation with the campaign and say it's not just about me yes this cause means something to me because of my experience but actually let's come together around this and and really make this this change happen absolutely and I think you think look at Marcus and think about movements of the past and then there's there's so many parallels with like really successful movements of the past it's um I do a little bit of work around how what we should learn from movements and there's this whole concept of successful movements have a vision to believe in like a simple well-articulated vision which is at the heart of what the movement seeks to achieve a believable plan to deliver that so if i'm going to invest some social capital in this movement there is a chance for success values we can all subscribe to and useful and valuable things to do to bring about the change and charismatic leadership like those are the the things i think we could be learning from movements yeah absolutely so speaking of learnings um uh and just because of of time now i know we've had some great questions come in so i'm uh keen to put those to you before we we wrap up at four um let's talk about digital predictions for 2021 what are the the things that um you see in your crystal ball pool see that one Um, I think they're kind of predictions and wishes because I think we're starting to see a a shift. I really think we will start to think about digital more as central to our everyday operation in terms of our public-facing, public engagement work, as opposed to an add-on at moments of surge. I just think that's the switch 
I can see happening. Really excited about that. I'm convinced that 2021 will see more organizations invest in their email programs and start to achieve greater success in their email programs. Hopefully the decline of the god-awful email newsletter with 50 things you could do today to help this charity, but really kind of highly, highly tuned um, fun, uh, uh, appeals. And I genuinely think there's a sea of change where boards, leadership will start to see um, digital as central to the organization's relevance as opposed to an add-on to some fundraising activity. So maybe that one's a wish, but yeah, let's end on that one. And how about, I think that's that's great. And I'm absolutely second to the, the thought around boards and leaders getting behind digital. And hopefully that's already starting to, to shift a bit, but clearly still some way to go. Um, have you got any digital predictions, Paul Thomas? Yeah, well, I think Zoom was such a big success in 2020 that I'm looking forward to the sequel Zoom 2 in 2021, um, which is clearly, clearly going to happen. I mean, we're on the iPhone 12, for goodness sake. Um, I was having a conversation the other day, and I think it was really interesting about the rise of um, AI uh, and how that's going to start to, to influence all, all, all sorts of different businesses and sectors. Uh, and I think there were two things in that that were um, that were really interesting for me. One around um, just the plethora of AI, which is in our in our houses and in our lives today, and how um, one of the things holding that back is this question of confidentiality and how much of our data is being shared and things like that. So I think AI tackling the confidentiality issue, I think, is going to be one thing that we we might see. And then I also hope on that front, and this is this isn't just for AI, I think this is for technology generally, and something that we've covered extensively on the podcast, is the ethics of technology and the ethics of digital. Um, and starting to see and be more mindful about how gender, race, and other biases are creeping into the technology that we're building. Um, and how we're training um, these massive machines to, to do things f for us in a way that's, that could be quite frightening. And on that note, having started re-watching Battlestar Galactica, the humans creating the Cylons, the Cylons coming back to, 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 to beat the humans, you know, there is something in that, I think. How about you, Zoe? Well, I think that the big uh, tech side of things, I wonder whether we're going to see a second big tech backlash, uh, because at the start of 2018, it felt that people were really beginning to, you know, to, to realise the impact that these huge companies are having on all of our lives. Uh, and just before we came on, so I spotted a, a, a story in, in the US where I think the Federal Trade Commission are actually suing Facebook uh, over the Instagram and also WhatsApp acquisitions back in the day. Um, and with something we talked about on a former um, former episode a couple of weeks ago about Biden starting the uh, online harassment task force when he um, comes in, in in January as well. I wonder whether there's going to be a bit of a step change in in big tech in, in 2021. So that'll be interesting to see in ties in with the point about ethics that you mentioned earlier. Right, so I think we should take some questions now. We've had some really interesting uh, points coming in, uh, some, some stuff on the chat. Um, uh, Cosimo from Hestia has just started as a digital coordinator, as the coordinator on a digital project there. Uh, and Paul, do you have any advice for someone who's new in post and maybe, you know, on a bit of a learning curve with digital? Yeah, I, um, at the risk of being slightly boring, I think 
digital is all about understanding the basic components of your digital systems and how they all sit together. So I think it's really important to invest some time. If you're in a smaller organization and you're the sole digital person to start to understand what's happening on the website in terms of uh, getting into the Google Analytics account and really seeing what people are looking at and where, where they're coming from. And also look at your um, look at your social and make sure that any social you're doing is actually delivering a, that your social has an objective and it's defined and that you're measuring the energy you put into managing your social against those objectives. And I would suggest that what we should always be looking to do is kind of drive quality traffic to our to all of our, our different digital systems and then be thinking about how we convert that energy into a kind of actionable next step. So I would focus, I would really double down on the data as number one. Thank you. Yeah, great, great point and, and a great answer. Thank you. Um, so really just focusing on the data. And um, we've got a really interesting question here that's coming from an anonymous attendee. And they say, I'm interested to hear more about the merger of fundraising, politics and media. In the US, both parties started to play a role in transforming local media and thereby making it also more partisan sometimes filling gaps where media is no longer present with potentially very negative consequences for the perception of news in general. Could this impact nonprofit messaging and fundraising in any way? I absolutely think it could. I think what we've seen in the kind of, we, we touched on it around ethics and all of those things attached to the platforms that we use every day, the, the platforms, you know, are driven by our attention and our energy through the pulses we send across the web about the things that we like and the things that we watch and all of those different elements and social media google it, it seems and the algorithm seems to be kind of accelerating the polarization of society so we're now in a in a place where if you're surrounded by people who are talking a specific thing that becomes a truth because fact-checking on the internet is, is, is very, very difficult. And I think there's a, real, there's a real challenge in that for charities, campaign groups, and obviously political parties about breaking through and driving the truth around the issues in which they're creating change for. And I see it now, more now in, than I've ever seen it in my career. Specifically, you know, Twitter can be a bit of a hell site at times and these Twitter storms blow up and both sides of the argument are investing energy in proving the other wrong as opposed to using the channels to paint the positive view of what a future could be. So I'm very worried about fake news and how it impacts some of the organisations that I work with and the causes which I care passionately about. Um, I don't have the answer. I think sometimes I think if there's a culture war, then the progressive side of things needs to engage in the culture war and win, which is a very um, stark approach. And then sometimes I think we need to be absolutely focused on finding the truths and painting the positive view of the future and not perpetuate that polarization. And I think the second is the right way to go. I worry that we're not prepared with the skills and the techniques and the resources to kind of win arguments and my and, and change opinions online at the moment 
I agree with you. Right. Sorry, go on, Paul. No, I was just going to, all I was going to say is it, it's very prevalent on Twitter, isn't it? Um, and they're making baby steps to try and sort of combat that. I noticed just recently um, on a couple of things that um, they're starting to challenge the idea of, of, of retweets and shares without you actually clicking on a link and interacting with the tweet, which is, uh, it's a positive step in the right direction. You, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of offering that up. Would you like to read this before you share it as fact? Uh, is pretty much what I'm, how I'm reading that, which is, yep. you know, it's going to stop some people, but not everybody. And I think the, the 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 areas where I get most concerned are the kind of dark social, so the the, the WhatsApp groups, the Facebook Messenger groups, the the the, the peer to peer sharing of of facts which might not be true. That 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 worries me, and I don't know. You, you, I think we need to. As a, if, if it is polarized and there's left and there's right, which I'm not even sure there is, I think the right is very good at promoting all the way up and down the marketing funnel these messages. I think the left or more progressive side of society is not, and there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an imbalance there, which I think yeah. makes it hard. It's, it's interesting again, you know, not to be too flippant about school and, and how the school thing, school approaches things, but I think that the school groups on on WhatsApp, from a personal point of view, have been very much like that this entire year, um, where somebody will say something about a case of COVID, for example, within a, within a school setting, and suddenly you'd think the entire school has got to shut down because this this yep. message just gets proliferate, proliferated, and without. Uh, without one one of us and one somebody that's involved in the conversation, you or I, actually making a stand and saying, "Hold on a minute, that's not what this conversation is about," or "This is not that won't happen." We don't have the platform intervening in that case to, to yeah. try and stop that that message getting out. I think that's absolutely right. I, I think that's that's right as well. And um, for anyone who's interested in the you know intersection between uh fake news and civil society there was a great report that uh came out i think a year or so ago from a charity called international broadcasting trust which is really fascinating on the impact of fake news on in particular the ngo sector and and i think it's only a matter of time before some huge fake news story comes to to civil society unfortunately and we, we need to be prepared for that Definitely. um i feel like we're ending on the slightly gloomy no <laughs> I should have brought my Santa hat. Um, I was going to say, I can, I, can, I can share my Christmas <laughs> socks if you want, which I did put on this morning and uh, we'll prove, prove by, by Twitter. But if you want to end it on, end it on a, a festive note. Maybe later, maybe later. Um, but from what we've all talked about today and from the, the excellent questions we've had uh, coming in, um, I think that really shows how um, there has been some really exciting progress in social sector and beyond with digital. And hopefully we'll see more exciting developments and innovations in 2021. Um, and we're so grateful to you, Paul, for coming along and, and sharing your amazing expertise with us all. And I thank you for inspiring us and giving us a, a different perspective on things, particularly by looking at things through the, the lens of uh, US politics and organising as well. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. For those of you who are new to our podcast, please do take a look at the website, uh, which is startsatthetop.co.uk. Uh, and please do follow us on Twitter at startsatthetop1. And we'll be interviewing more fantastic uh, social sector leaders in digital over the next few months. Paul, you've set a very high bar. Brilliant.
Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone. Um, have a restful Christmas and thank you for coming today. Thank you.